parents have a duty to act as proxies for the real world. Merciful proxies, caring proxies, but proxies nonetheless. This obligation supersedes any responsibility to ensure happiness, foster creativity, or boost self-esteem. It is the primary duty of parents to make their children socially desirable. That will provide the child with opportunity, self-regard, and security. It is more important even than fostering individual identity. That holy grail can only be pursued in any case after a high degree of social sophistication has been established. Welcome to Flourish. I'm Diane Planeden, and you're in the right place if you're ready to create an inspired life. And we do so by working on our personal development so we can be strong role models, lead by example for the next generation, those we love and mentor, because they deserve success just as much as the next guy. So we're continuing our saga of Jordan B. Peterson's book, The Twelve Rules for Life, An Antidote to Chaos, and it's chapter five, and I love this rule. Don't let your children do anything that makes you dislike them. And that's why Peterson talks about the fact that you have to socialize your children. You have to get them out there in the world. Mm, don't let somebody else, you know, bring them up, but get them out there in the world so they learn to play with others. They learn to socialize. They learn to share, per se. And this is very, very important, especially if you have an only child, which I ended up having one child, one beautiful child, and he was able to thankfully, you know, start play school early, start preschool early. And the reason I did it is I felt he needed socialization. I didn't know that's what I was supposed to do. I had no idea what I was doing as a parent. <laughs> I just felt that instinct that he needed to have more interaction than, you know, uh, being at home playing a Lego with mom. So it's really important, especially Peterson says, I heard in a, an interview he was on with the Flemsplainers of uh, before the age of four. So if you have an only child, uh, take this opportunity to really think about that. And if they're over four, you know, get them out socializing. But I do want to emphasize from my own personal experience do not expect somebody else to raise your child. It is your duty as a parent or a mentor or if you are raising foster children, adoptive children, whatever the case may be, to be the one raising them. And I, I could tell you hundreds, hundreds of stories of different teachers or coaches or instructors or just other people that my son encountered over the years that thought they would teach him a little lesson or two. Thankfully, he was strong enough to hold his own, and thankfully, he was wise enough to discuss that with me. Now, he wasn't a mama's boy. He did not go running to mommy if somebody was bullying him. That's not what I'm talking about. What I'm talking about was we had open communication that if something was happening, he would bring it to my attention, and then we would discuss and digest and derive a plan so he could move forward and 
get stronger and build that little thick skin that we all need, don't we? <laughs> but back to Peterson's book. I had so many laughs with this chapter. It was so entertaining and so funny. And Peterson does say, more thoughtful parents would not have let someone truly they truly cared for become the object of a crowd's contempt. So what he means by that is if you are in public with your child and they are acting out, they need something. They need to be paid attention to. And they need to know that if they're going to use that form of communication, it better be something they really need. Not simply just to control the puppeteer of mommy and daddy or whatever the case may be. Because children will challenge you. They do. They're clever. They're smart. And they're growing. They're learning. They're, they're like little baby vampires learning to grow, you know? Like, I don't know if you've read the Twilight series, but it, it there's one, <laughs> one book that was like, ugh, scary. But they're just, they, they need nurturing. They need molding. They need forming. They need guidance. And Keep in mind, monkey see, monkey do, they will, they will actually become a mini you. So that's another Austin Powers idea, but hey, let's stick to Jordan Peterson's book for today, shall we? In, in, in reading this chapter, you know, the, the main message that really got across to me was that your child, my child, children, are not an inconvenience. They have this major superpower within them that they need to learn how to utilize. They need to learn and learn fast they do. So it goes on to say, it has been said that every individual is the conscious or unconscious follower of some influential philosopher that believes that children have an intrinsically unsullied spirit damaged only by culture and society, it derived in no small part from the 18th century Genevian French philosopher Jean-Jacques Rousseau. And then he goes on to quote Freud. He says, Sigmund Freud, by his own account, a man who has been the indisputable favorite of his mother, keeps for life the feeling of a conqueror, that confidence of success that often induces real success. Hmm. Peterson says, fair enough, but feeling of a conqueror can uh, easily become actual conqueror. So there must be a little fine line there. There's a fine line. And I, I've talked about this before that, you know, you have to let your children grow, blossom. But if they're turning into napweed instead of butterflies, well, <laughs> you better pull them back down to ground. It's a constant, evolving moving machine. You're programming this robot constantly from day one and it's a wonderful opportunity. I, I absolutely love, love, love children. I love even hearing babies cry because they, there's just something precious about it. But you have to be cognizant of what your child's telling you and what the communication is that they want you to know. 
He says, we skate unconsciously on thin ice with deep cold waters below where unimaginable monsters lurk. <laughs> he thinks today's parents are terrified of their children. How do you discipline them without becoming a monster yourself, right? Well, that is a difficult, difficult path to go down. And each person has had their own history of being raised by their parents. Now, here's a fun tip, and this is not in the book. This is in my opinion. If you were raised by parents and you didn't like something about the way they raised you, maybe you didn't like the fact that they were never home and you were raised by babysitters. Maybe you didn't like the fact that hmm, you never had a sit-down formal dinner, maybe every Sunday, maybe every night. You didn't like the fact that they didn't pay attention to you. Right there is anything that you really disliked about how you were being raised as a child. It's your opportunity to reverse that in your offspring. I know so many people fear that when they are... They have children and maybe they came from an abusive background, alcoholic parents, divorced, multiple divorces, whatever the case may be, every story is unique. They worry if they're going to have children, they're going to do the same. And I would suggest that you have a choice. You have a choice how you're going to raise your children and you have a choice on how you're going to Discipline them to move from baby vampire, terrible to kicking, screaming, yelling, because that's how they know how to communicate, right? To being socialized by the age of four, being able to integrate into a classroom. I'm not going to say they're going to sit still, though. That'll never happen. <laughs> Don't even think about that one. That'll never happen. But the whole concept of don't let your children do something that you don't like is a nice little reminder to keep in the back of your mind, even for yourself. He goes on to say, children must be shaped and informed or they cannot thrive. The fact is reflected starkly in their behavior. Kids are utterly desperate for attention from both peers and adults because such attention which renders them effective and sophisticated communal players, is vitally necessary. Vitally necessary. Children must be shaped and informed. Now, you do the best you can with the information that you have and the upbringing you have and the environment you live in. But really, the old saying of sticks and stones may break my bones, but words will never hurt me. Is, is a fun little ditty, but absolutely incorrect. <laughs> words are powerful, and words plus action are even more powerful. So if you are looking for some thoughts, tidbits, this particular chapter shines, shines a bit of a guiding light on what you can do to be a role model for the next generation, and even a role model for those you influence. Peterson goes on to discuss about the terrible twos in the toddler stage and how we really need to make some corrections because they're, 
their minds are growing, their bodies are growing, they're just, you know, pushing the limits, seeing how far they can push your buttons, because are they supposed to be emotional, physical, crying, higher, <laughs> you know, just whatever they're doing. He says, consistent correction of such action indicates the limits of acceptable aggression to the child. Hmm. So if they're biting, kicking, you know, how far are you going to let that go? He says, given when that happens, correction is better sooner than later. It, of course, you don't want to be hit, right? <laughs> correction also helps the children learn that hitting others in suboptimal social is a suboptimal social strategy. Without that correction, no child is going to undergo the effortful process of organizing and regulating their impulses. Yes, so that those impulses can coexist without conflict within the psyche of the child and in the broader social world. It is no simple matter to organize the mind. I love that. It is no simple matter to organize the mind. And I almost feel that it's a continuing matter to organize the mind. Because we're thrown curveballs all through our lives, all through, well, every, what, right from when you're born to your, your dying days. There's curveballs, there's changes, there's pivots. And you have to adjust, and you constantly have to keep organizing your mind, keep pivoting, keep changing, keep thinking, keep questioning yourself. Focus on what you're thinking, because we have a lot of thoughts during the day. And if you don't stay in focus and keep that mind organized, well, <laughs> next thing you know, there's some kind of um, little vice habit that's helping you along the way, and that's, and that's not the solution. Peterson gives some really good advice that it, it's all kind of reward-based when it comes to not only children, but adults. So if a child does something good, reward them. And it doesn't have to be monetary. It could be an acknowledgement, like job well done. Job well done. He says, when somebody does something you're trying to get them to do, reward them. No grudge after victory. I like that. And it, and again, it's, it applies to every scenario and not just children, but it's super effective with children, especially if they are feeling that uh, they are not, mm, say, enjoying a certain topic at school, a certain subject and they're really struggling. Give them something to look forward to. Break it down for them. Don't let Sesame Street do all the teaching. Be engaging. Be involved. Pay attention. Because when a child understands that there's a reward at the end, they're more motivated to do so more motivated to move forward. And I actually re started listening to Peterson's recent interview with uh, Joe Rogan. It, it's four hours, so I have to take it in tidbits. <laughs> but, uh, he said, motivation is directly proportionate to the willingness to expand. And 
energy. Mm, the willingness to expend energy. So if your child needs a little motivation, that is the, you know, what's happening in the background. You know, what, what, you got to have some willingness there to, to actually move forward, to make a change. Person goes on to give an example from the famous psychologist B.F. Skinner. It says it's not that impossible to discipline with reward. In fact, rewarding good behavior can be very effective. The most famous of all behavioral psychologists, B.F. Skinner, was a great advocate of this approach. He was an expert at it. He taught pigeons to play ping pong, although they only rolled the ball back and forth by pecking it with their beaks. But they were pigeons. So even though they played badly, it was still pretty good. Yes, uh, you know, it's, you can, he, says, he goes on to say you can teach virtually anyone anything with such an approach. First, figure out what you want. Then watch the people around you like a hawk. Finally, whenever you see anything a bit more like what you want, swoop in, hawk, remember, and deliver a reward. So swoop in. When you catch somebody, your child in this example, doing something right, reward it. Don't wait for the report card to come in. Don't wait for the piano recital feedback. Don't wait to see if they score a goal in hockey or soccer or whatever sport. Reward that action. Reward what you see happening. It does not have to be uh, uh, somebody else's, you know, verification of a job well done. He goes on to say, parental interventions that make children happy clearly can and should be used to shape behavior. The same goes for husbands, wives, co-workers, and parents. And this was my point. This particular chapter, even though it talks about children, it applies to all of us, doesn't it? Skinner, however, he goes on to say, was a realist. He noted that the use of reward was very difficult. The observer had to attend patiently until the target spontaneously manifested the desired behavior and then reinforce. Job well done. Way to go. Atta boy. You're a star. You know, I mean, just even positive words can positively reinforce actions. And actions do speak louder than words. So, add on a little bit of a hug depending on the age of your child, a pat on the head, or maybe, uh, you know, one of the guys on the team, pat on the back. Right? It's just, hey, you're awesome. Well done. And I love that. And then he talks about this. In fact, we feel more negative about a loss of a given size than we feel good about the same size gain. Hmm. Pain is more potent than pleasure and anxiety more than hope. Why, oh, why is that? Why is negative so powerful? Does it have a, a different level? Is it, you know, is it the oil to our water? Is it, why does it not have positive on the surface? 
that's it's so, so fascinating and so interesting. And he goes on to say emotions, positive and negative, come in two usefully different variants, differentiated variants. Satisfaction tells us what we did was good, while hope indicates that something pleasurable is on the way. Pain hurts us, so we won't repeat actions that produce personal damage or social isolation. Yes, isolation is a, a form of pain, and oh my goodness, this pandemic, I think we've all had enough of it, right? <laughs> Back to Peterson. Anxieties, anxiety makes us stay away from hurtful people and bad places, so we don't have to feel pain. All these emotions must be balanced against each other and carefully judged in context. They're all required to keep us alive and thriving. Thriving. We therefore do our children a disservice by failing to use whatever is available to help them learn, including negative emotions, even though such use should occur in the most merciful possible manner. You might have to listen to that one more time because I put a huge circle around it. It's highlighted, it's tabbed, it's bookmarked. That, to me, was the most interesting, interesting paragraph of the entire chapter because it really sums it up, doesn't it? It really sums up the big picture. So, given this, he says, the fundamental moral question is not how to shelter children completely from misadventure and failure so they never experience any fear or pain, but how to maximize their learning so that useful knowledge may be gained with minimal cost. I like that because we do have to learn that uh, humans can be evil and we need to understand that they can also be nice and we have to realize that um, we don't know what's going on in somebody else's lives. We don't know what's behind the curtain. Is it the wonderful Wizard of Oz bellowing his voice behind the green curtain? Yes, I, I love that story, the Wizard of Oz. And Oz was, is an excellent example of how we don't know what people are really doing behind closed doors. We don't know what's really going on in their world. But we know what's going on in our world, and our children count on us help them understand this balance, this change, human nature. I did an entire series on that, and I, I'm going to link it to the show notes because it's, it's almost, I feel, it should be, forget about waiting till university. Teach it to children right from day one. It should be part of the curriculum. We study science, biology. We study geography. We study world history, mathematics, English, but we don't study humans. And that's kind of left to university or maybe high school psychology classes. Mm, that's my unwanted advice for the day. <laughs> I think it, it's really, really fascinating that if from an early age, if we understood each other a little bit better, be a little bit more peaceful world. Yeah. 
Peterson goes on to say, parents who refuse to adopt the responsibility for disciplining their children think they can just opt out of the conflict necessary for proper child rearing. Hmm. Well, you know, I know you don't want to be the bad guy. I know you want your child to feel that they can confide in you, but they'll never confide in you like a friend would confide if they see you as that person. I hope, I hope that makes sense. He goes on to say, if a child has not been taught to behave properly by the age of four, remember we talked about that in the beginning, it will forever be difficult to him, for him or her to make friends. Now, I bring that back because if they're not socialized and you're not parenting them and you're not giving them their wings and then making sure they fly back to the nest at night and sharing their adventures, it will be very difficult for your child to be uh, socialized in the world. And, and I know I'm just kind of paraphrasing things, but um, that, that kind of brings it all full circle, you know? Like, you just, you don't have to be friends with your child because guess what? If you pay attention to your child and engage them and pay attention and listen, really listen to what's going on, underlying currents will never form. The waves will be there on the surface, but there'll never be underlying currents that you don't know about. You know, it's, it's, parents are intuitive, but you have to pay attention. And school is not the babysitter's club. I'm just going to say that one more time because, um, <laughs> Nicholas, my son, for example, uh, we, we moved when he was in grade two. So we went from a beautiful school in Canada that had very structured, structured schedule. He was learning two languages. He was studying art, history. He, he was really exposed to so many facets. And then we moved to the States. And mm, let's just say <laughs> the first school he went to, they were teaching them to color lines. And I thought, well, that won't do. Hmm. So we, we changed schools. I mean, on, honestly, there, there was no sense in wasting time. And so then in the next school we went to, uh, because it, we, it, we were lucky enough that it was flexible. You didn't have to go to the school in your neighborhood. So then we went a little further out. And the next school we went to, um, the first day, the teacher decided to show this new kid how they initiate them. Initiate a grade two child. He did not go back there. And I'm going to say, because of the open communication that we had, he told me about it. And I witnessed it once I was able to enter the school grounds the next day. And the next day we went to yet another school, yet further away. The thing is, is you have to advocate for your child and you have to believe your child. You have to give them the benefit of the doubt. Now, the next school, 
it was a little bit better, but oh man, it was overcrowded like you would not believe. So um, this mommy dearest became uh, <laughs> a little teacher's helper because how does a 22-year-old new teacher have 35 grade 2 children to teach in a crowded classroom? Absolutely anything. It's a challenge. So we, we were challenged in that transition, but it really opened my eyes and made me aware that we have a choice. And we chose not to go to the school that had a very poor curriculum. We chose not to go to the school where oh, even the teachers were bullies. Hmm. Surprise, surprise. This is my point. You have to pay attention and cultivate that mind so that your child feels comfortable, not scared, bringing things to your attention, bringing it to the surface so you can have that relationship with them. Because it's not, it, it, it wasn't funny. It wasn't a funny situation at all. But you can read more about that in my new book. Okay, so. <laughs> Peterson says, parents have a duty to act as proxies for the real world. Merciful proxies. That's the way we began this discussion, wasn't it? So now you can see what I'm talking about and why I started it that way. It, it's really an in-depth chapter. Gives you a lot to think about, a lot to think about. And he has some sweet little antidotal stories himself as being a parent or otherwise. So Peterson ends the chapter by saying, you take responsibility for their discipline. You take responsibility for the mistakes you will inevitably make while disciplining. You can apologize when you're wrong and learn to do better. You love your kids after all. If their actions make you dislike them, think what an effect they will have on other people who care much less about them than you. Those people will punish them severely by omission or commission. Don't allow that to happen. Better to let your little monsters know what is desirable and what is not, so they become sophisticated denizens of the world outside the family. Yes, that's the, the, the path to maturity, and I really quite like it, because then your child will thrive. Clear rules make for secure children and calm, rational parents, Peterson says. Clear principles of discipline and punishment balance mercy and justice so that social development and psychological maturity can be optimally promoted. Clear rules. Order. We need some order because otherwise all we have is chaos. <laughs> there is no greater gift that a committed and courageous parent can be still. Do not let your children do anything that makes you dislike them, and you will live a more inspired life.